see. <laughs> tell, turn to your neighbor and tell them what you saw whenever you came in this morning. Go ahead. Take a moment. Okay, so now the $5 million question is, did you like what you saw when you came in this morning? Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know if you're anything like me, but uh, when I look in a mirror, there are some things that uh, I wish could change. All right. I've always wanted to be just a little bit taller, okay? Just a little bit taller because then it would have helped me be able to dunk the basketball more consistently. Like, I only really ever did it twice, to be real honest. I just don't have that ability. But if I was taller, that, that would have been, you know, one of those things I could have done. But just a little bit taller. I, I would, would like to have, you know, a, a smaller waist and a you know, bigger chest, you know, be a little more muscular because I've always, always been kind of scrawny. If you, you know, see my children, that's, that's me, you know, when I was their age. Um, you know, just always wanted to be a, a little more muscular, a, a little bigger. Um, my hair is turning gray, you know, I, and it's going away as well. So, you know, I wish that was <laughs> something that, that I could change. Um, so, some of the things that I really enjoy drinking, like, like coffee and tea and iced coffees, um, those are the things that my dentist tells me I shouldn't be drinking. Why? Because they're staining my teeth, right? And have to have the pretty white smile. Isn't that what we're told, right? But it's not exactly white. There's some things that I would like to be able to change. Now, we all know people who have who've done some, maybe some extreme things to alter their, their outward appearance. And sometimes that's understandable because it was necessary, you know, a, a medical procedure. But oftentimes, it's just us trying to look better. It's us trying to look younger or, or to be maybe a little more attractive. Think about it. Gym memberships. Running clubs, exercise programs like the P90X, right? How many Xers are out there, right? A few, some of you are like, you know, you can't tell, but yeah. Um, <laughs> then you've got, you've got Jillian, you know, the 30-day shred, right? You can, you can follow what, her, what she does, all, all these things. There's they're all this stuff out there. Um, and, and it's designed in order to help us feel better about ourselves. And so we look better, right? And if we're honest with ourselves, we also want to look good for other people. We want other people to notice that we're in shape or how attractive we are, how young we're keeping ourselves. So why do I bring that out up this morning? Well, the reason is because a lot of times our focus is on the exterior part of who we are, and the interior part of who we are is oftentimes neglected or ignored. I invite you to grab your bulletins and follow along and fill in a few blanks as, as we go through this uh, this morning. Our, our outer appearance oftentimes gets a lot of attention. When our, when our inner self, our heart, well, it just doesn't get much attention at all. And, and our, our inside, our behavioral change, doesn't even get as much attention as our outward appearance. What, what really needs to occur in our life, though, in order for there to be real change? What, what needs to occur? Uh, the dentist tells me that if I want water, whiter teeth, then I have to stop drinking those drinks, right? Because they stain my teeth. However, I don't want to do that. I don't want to stop drinking those things because I like those things. Okay? I enjoy those things. So what do I do? Well, I look for a loophole. And my guess is so do you. We've been talking about the Pharisees and how they've been looking for loopholes. We're kind of a lot like that, right? So instead of stopping drinking those things, what do we do? Well, we go out and we buy a product that will counteract our behavior, like 
lightning strips, right? That allows us to continue drinking whatever we want to drink and still have the white teeth. Um, we, we immerse ourselves in a product that will cancel out what we're unwilling to change. My problem with my teeth is the same problem I have with my wife's cooking. Um, she's a great cook. I love her desserts. I think they're amazing. And, and I eat more than I should. And I justify my second helping of things by saying I'll run an extra mile or two or three, okay? That's how I, I kind of go around what should be happening. Because what's better for me is to limit my intake because I don't need those extra calories. But I run more for that loophole so I can ultimately do what I want to do. Now, am I the only person here that thinks or does things that way? Anyone else want to be honest enough to say, yeah, that's me too? That's kind of what I figure. If I were the only person in the room, then I just need to sit down and read this to myself and, you know, go about our merry way. But we all struggle with this in one way or another. We all seek for justification. We all do this loophole searching in our life. And I think that that what we need to understand is that that is a normal part of being a human. It's part of what we do. But in our series, Big Butts of the Bible, Jesus is kind of addressing all these things. He's giving this famous sermon on the Sermon on the Mount, and, and he is trying to get us to see that what life is about is not behavior modification, it's heart change. That's what he is truly interested in. Jesus is interested in our hearts being changed. I invite you to grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. In your Bible, if you didn't bring your Bible, I would ask that you uh, please do so next week. If you don't have a Bible, it should be a blue Bible somewhere close to you. Or there's Bibles on the Connect table. If you don't own a Bible, we invite you to take one of those. Our deal is you take one, you read it. You read God's Word. It's, it's an amazing book of God's lo- love letter to you. And so, so take that and read it and make it a part of your daily life. You've heard it said several times in this series already that uh, we can change all the behaviors in our life that we want to. And we can change the behaviors in our life to be exactly what God would have them to be in our life. But if it's not coming from the heart, it's not true change. If it's not coming from the heart, it's just behavior modification. And God wants us to have a heart change. It's, it's not really true change unless it comes from the heart. And today, we're going to be looking at the next passage of Scripture, uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, about oaths and vows, if you have a little title there uh, in your Bible. Not words that we use very often unless you go to a wedding. And so, kind of rename that as promises and commitments. Because we make promises, we make commitments all the time. And and while I was preparing this, it, it almost was a little anticlimactic, you know, this week's lesson, because after all, so far, uh, we've been looking at important big things like anger and adultery and divorce. And here today we are talking about simple matters of oaths and promises and commitments and vows, those types of things. But at the core of what Jesus is addressing is the core of what he's been addressing all along. It's the core of our human character and who we truly are. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. And if you're able this morning, would you stand with me as we read uh, these, these words from, from the Lord Himself? And, and let's read these uh, this morning. Verse 33 says, Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but keep the oaths that have been made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. 
Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for your message that you gave to the people that Matthew recorded for us that we can read and apply to our lives today. Thank you that, that the Bible is so rich and full of words that are applicable to us still today. We love you and we thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, it's kind of unfortunate that we live in a culture today where what we call honest is really kind of relative, and and it's really based on a very casual understanding of what that word means. Our country has an elaborate system of laws and and contracts and notaries all all across the land, and all these things are designed to, and they exist because people cannot be trusted to say what they mean and to mean what they say. We have binding legal signatures that ensure that we will do exactly what we say we will do. There are thousands of words designed by legal experts to keep us from finding that loophole that we're all searching for. But the reality is that that none of these things that have been put in place make any of us any more truthful. It doesn't make us any more trustworthy. It doesn't change our character because our character cannot be controlled by mere words any more than than me just saying I'm not going to have another piece of my wife's Butterfinger cake makes it so we have to to choose to do that right we have to to make that decision and then act on it all of the the legal things in in this world uh, are designed to really help us in the same way that crest whitening strips help us they help us because they bind us. They, they counteract what we would normally want to do. They're, they're cosmetic procedures that change the outside, but the inside remains exactly the same. They don't change your character. They don't change who you truly are. And I think these things that they exist in our society, it's a good thing. It's a good thing that we have these things, you know, to protect people's rights and do this and that. I don't want to make it sound like it's not. But as I was thinking through this and as I sat down and just really contemplated this, it made me wonder if everyone was just honest. If we lived in that perfect you know, society where everyone was just honest all the time, well, we wouldn't need any of these cosmetic safeguards, would we? You could just say it and mean it and everything would be fine. By now, you probably know that, that I grew up on a farm in Missouri. I, I grew up at a time where uh, the way you decided and made deals with people was you looked them in the eye and you shook their hand and the deal was done. That's how I secured my first mowing job whenever I was like 10 or 11 years old. It's how I secured my first job off of the family farm. It is still the way things are done somewhat uh, on where I grew up. My uncle who does uh, contract combining, um, he goes out and and another farmer will say, hey, will you harvest the crop for me? And they'll agree on a price per acre or, you know, a certain amount of of the share of the crop, whatever it produces. They'll shake hands, they'll look each other in the eye and away they go. That's it. Your word is your bond because they mean what they say and they say what they mean. And, and as I was thinking about that, as that's the way I was taught. It's, it's the way that I want to teach my children. Wouldn't it be great if it were like that? Wouldn't it be great? I mean, really, if you stop and think about it, it'd be great if, if we could all just yes is yes and, and no is no. But gone are the days that you can do that. Gone are the days that you can commit to someone with a handshake and a smile. By looking someone in the eye. Scripture talks a lot about integrity. It talks about it in several different places. In one passage of Scripture in James chapter 5, verse 12, from the Message Version, it says this. It'll be on the screen behind me. It says, And since you know that He cares, 
Let your language show it. Don't add words like, I swear to God, to your own words. Don't show your impatience by concocting oaths to hurry up God. Just say yes or no. Just say what is true. That way your language can't be used against you. It's really pretty similar to what we've been talking about over the past three weeks. You can murder someone in your heart and never touch them physically. You can commit adultery in your heart and never do anything physically. You can look for what is permitted. You can look for what you can have justifiable grounds for. Or you can see how God would challenge you to change and how you to grow and how you can draw closer to Him. And this is the pattern that Jesus has continued throughout this Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said, but I say to you. What was challenging for me whenever I read through uh, this passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 5 is that as I thought through it, it was like, wait, wait a minute. Let me really think through this because if I'm making a vow, if I'm making a promise or a commitment or, or I'm saying I'm going to do something, why not tack on a huge qualifier? Why not put on something big so that the person I'm talking to and even God will understand that I really mean what I say? Doesn't that make sense? I really mean it, and I'm going to show you how much I really mean it by by adding this whole big qualifier. After all, isn't that what they do in the courtroom? You stand up and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. Don't, Don't they still do that? At a wedding, don't they get up and they give their vows to each other, and oftentimes they say, with God as my witness, I give you my promise? I mean, don't we do that? And yet, Jesus says that adding those types of qualifiers onto our words comes from the evil one. I'm not sure I like that, Jesus. Are are you sure? What's he trying to say? Well, I think a little bit of historical context is going to help us kind of flesh this out. In the context of of ancient Judaism, you find that people took vows and oaths as as a legal way to get out of things. Not to stay in things, which I found very interesting. They took it as a way to, to get out of whatever they wanted to do. As we talked about last week, where, you know, men especially, they would interpret the law this way and then they would be able to justify what they were doing by committing adultery, right? They, they found a loophole. They, they looked for it and they justified it however they saw fit because they could put God's name attached to it. The Old Testament is full of all kinds of oaths and vows, and and one that I thought was appropriate comes from Deuteronomy chapter 23, which says, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it. For the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from making a vow, you will not be guilty. Whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do. Because you, you made your vow freely to the Lord your God, with your own mouth. Now, basically what he's saying is that if you make a vow, you better do it. Because if you don't, then you're guilty of sin. But if you don't make a vow and then you don't do it, then you're not guilty of sin. Okay, got that? Makes perfect sense, right? Kind of. Jesus is speaking to the crowd there on the mountainside. They would have understood it perfectly. They would have understood exactly what Jesus meant because they had been hearing that. This is the you have heard it said part of what Jesus was talking about from Matthew chapter 5. And if you really stop and think about it, this concept of making your promise or don't make your promise, if you make your promise, you better keep it. If you don't make your promise, you don't have those types of things. It makes a lot more of the Old Testament make sense as you read through it. For instance, Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, the third commandment in verse 7 says, You shall not misuse the name of your Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Okay. Now, what does that mean? As children, at least, where I grew up, we were taught that that means that you don't put God's name in front of a swear word. Okay? 
You don't say that because that's taking the Lord's name in vain. You also don't give Jesus a middle initial, usually H is the way I always heard it, whenever you're saying His name. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. And I think we can all agree that it means that, that we shouldn't do that. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. But this commandment, it means so much more than that. Taking the Lord's name in vain is really about throwing the Lord's name around like it is ordinary, like, like it's a common everyday word. This idea was so important uh, to the Jewish people that, that the name of God be treated with such reverence and, and such holiness that, that they wouldn't even say the name of God. They wouldn't even say Yahweh. They, they, they respected it so much that it would never escape their lips. Growing up, my parents taught me that you don't say, oh my God, whenever something happens. It's still kind of tough for me to say that. Um, that's what I was taught. Instead, you're supposed to say such things as, oh my goodness. At the very, very, you know, if you want to get up close to the line, you could say, oh my gosh. Okay? And that makes sense as to why, but it really made sense when one day my mother said to me, think about it this way. And I can just hear my mother. What if you said, oh my God, and God says, yes? Are you really ready to talk to him? Or are you just taking his name in vain? Like, oh, okay, I get it now. You know, thanks. We have to kind of think about it that way. If you take this passage and you, and you study it farther, you'll find that, that taking the Lord's name in vain also includes this idea of, of attaching God's name to things that aren't true. The Hebrew word for this, this word vain is the word shove. And I, yes, that is spelled correctly, S-H-O-A-V-E. And it means useless or deceptive or false. It can even mean just outright lying. And if we use God's name in a way that is false, or if we attach it to something that is false or, or useless or deceptive, then, then we associate it with something that's not true. It, it's a sin. It, it's sinful to do that. It's taking the Lord's name in vain. And, and we can see why that would be. And, and right here, Jesus is saying, don't try to get out of a situation by playing the religious card. Don't try to attach God's name on it, and that makes it sound okay. To try to, try to sound spiritual by just throwing God's name in so you can go, oh, people go, oh, well, it's understandable then because he played the God card on me. How can you argue with God? And that's kind of what Jesus is trying to say. Don't use God's name to try to make your words sound like something that they're not. Don't use God's name to try to justify your actions or your lack of actions. There's a pastor friend of mine recently shared that a couple came into his office and sat down and they were married, just not to each other. And they admitted to him that they were having an affair with each other. And then they proceeded to tell him, but it's okay. This is a good thing because God brought us together. God showed us how we're supposed to be in this relationship. And God showed us how this is a really good thing and you should be happy for us. No. <laughs> no, I can't be. Sorry. He, he, he said he went on to share with them that, that they were using God's name in that to justify their actions. And we do that too sometimes. We take God's name and, and we try to apply it so that we can feel better about ourselves. This third commandment is telling us not to use God's name in vain. Not to use it as a way to justify our actions. And again, it's more than just actions. It's, it's aligning your heart with your actions. It's, it's causing you to, to think about how what you do is a reflection of who you are. And your actions must reflect what's going on inside of you and in your heart. Oftentimes we think by adding this huge qualifier, it will, it will add to our integrity. It will uh, add to our reliability. But... It's just not that simple. 
It just doesn't work that way. Keeping the vows and keeping the commitments that we make, following through with the promises that we make, that's what matters because words are cheap. They're, they're a dime a dozen. And even if we use lofty sounding words and we, we are impressing people with our speech, if we don't follow through with them, they really mean nothing. If a, you're a child and, and your parents promise you that you're going to do something and then they never do, you know that words are cheap. If your spouse promises you never again and then they do again, and maybe again, you know that words are cheap. If your boss says, hey, a promotion's coming, a raise is coming, things are going to get better, just hang in there, and it never does, you understand that, that words are cheap. They mean nothing. The reality about integrity is that integrity isn't created by the words that we speak. It's created by keeping the words that we speak. And there's something that may be even a little more potentially dangerous or damaging in our life and I think even reveals a deeper of a heart issue, it's that we somehow think that by making a vow and by adding a huge qualifier to it, that it will miraculously make us more, have more integrity. That it will actually start changing us if we just attach these things to it. But it, it really doesn't work that way. It just sets us up for disappointment whenever we try to do that. Jesus says, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. And that's one of the things that we have to kind of think about and apply to our life. So, here we are in church on Sunday morning talking through this, and that's kind of probably what you expect to hear at church, right? Take it and break it down, and and there we go. But how does this translate to life? How does this translate to tomorrow morning, whenever you head back to work, to Wednesday afternoon, to Friday night? How, How do these things really work outside of your church life? What does this mean to you? Well, I would imagine that in a group this size, there are different groups or different camps of feelings on this subject. And if you're here this morning, and maybe as you start thinking about letting your yes be yes and your no be no, it creates some guilt within you. Because there have been times that you have committed to something or you've had to over-embellish as to why you can't commit to something. And we, we do that whenever someone asks us if we can do something and we have to say no, and then we have to put on this huge qualifier as to why and this big explanation because we want the other person to understand it's not you. You're good. It's me. And I'm important and I have lots of other stuff to do. And not that you're not important, but you know what I mean? We try to make the other person feel good when we're telling them no. And we do that and we try to to get people to, to just relax and not put that pressure on us so that we don't feel that guilt. Maybe you do that at work. Maybe you feel guilty at work because something extra comes up at work and you, you know that you should take it on because it'd be good for your career, but in a, with an honest assessment of your time, you know that if you take on that extra project, a couple of things are going to happen. You, you take that on and your personal life's going to suffer. Your family life's going to suffer. You don't take it on, those will be fine, but your work life won't be as good because that's what's expected of you, even though it's not required. And so you feel guilty all the time because you can't do it all. You just can't get it all done. You say no to your employer or you say no to your family. Which is it? Which guilt do you want to carry around with you? There are people in our world that feel that way on a daily basis. I've talked to several of you that feel that way, that feel like you just can't get it all done. I know I'm like that as well. A lot in my inner life. There's always more work than there is time. There's always more work than there are people. And you have to balance between what you can do and what you can't do. There's, there's always more month at the end of the money, right? And it's just the way it works out. And we try to figure it all out. So what do we need to do? Well, I want to suggest for all of us, whether you feel guilt or you don't, this applies to all of us in here this morning, we need to just pause 
And we need to think through things before we commit to something. We need to slow down and dial back the pressure and just really take an honest look at it. We need to, to stop associating, as hard as it may be, uh, we need to stop associating our self-worth, what we think about ourselves, with what we get done. With the amount of things that we're able to do, with the amount of things that we're able to do even better than other people. We have to stop thinking that that's what gives us value. And we really have to stop thinking that that's what God sees gives us value. Too often we believe that the more we do, the more God's going to love us. And we, we've just got to get out of that trap. We need to let our no be no and not feel bad about it, not feel guilty about it. If it's not part of your job, if someone else is going to get the credit, let it go. If there's not enough time, there's simply not enough time. All the embellishing in the world is not going to change the fact that if you commit to it, something's going to suffer. Just be honest in what you do. I also want to suggest that you're, you don't be motivated by guilt. Don't be motivated by guilt. Don't be driven by those thoughts of you never do enough, you never accomplish enough, you're never going to get it right, you can't ever do it right. Don't, don't be dominated by those things because it's not healthy. You need to let your no be no. Anything else comes from the evil one. And in that vein, we also need to let our yes be yes. And I know that sounds very simple, but, but there may be, uh, you may find yourself in another group here this morning, uh, someone who's, who's broken their word a lot in the past. And your yes hasn't always been yes. Um, you have a history of breaking your word time and time again. And your family, your friends, your, your associates, they know that even if you say yes, it's really a big maybe. They know that about you because that's just a part of who you are at this point. And, and honestly, maybe some of the things you've said, you've had to make up so many excuses and so many embellishments that you do so much swearing that it becomes a little bit ridiculous as to why you can't do what you were going to do. You commit to something, you've overcommitted, and there's no way you can do it, but you're trying. And, and so when you don't show up or you show up really, really late, what happens? You're like, oh, I was on my way, but I was driving down Route 1. And as I was driving down Route 1, this, this deer jumped over my car, hit the car next to me and rolled. And so we all got out and traffic backed up and we, we helped the deer and the wildlife came and we set the deer's leg and we fixed it. And then we took it over to Carnegie and we set it out in the woods and we gave it some food to eat. And it was just a magical moment. No, Really? And people are like, yeah, great. And, and we just lose all credibility. We lose our integrity. And people just, they just don't trust us anymore. We know you had good intentions. We always have good intentions, don't we? But, but why do we do that? Why do we keep overcommitting? Why do we put ourselves in situations where we're going to fail, where we can no longer be dependable? It's time for us to be honest and take an honest assessment of who we are and what we're doing and what we can do. We need to get our ego in check and realize that it's really not all about us and we need to let our yes be yes. And if we say it, then we need to do it. And maybe this means for you, you need to reprioritize your life. And I know I'm stepping on a few toes here this morning, but this is just reality of life. We need to take an honest assessment, and maybe we just really need to reprioritize. Maybe you need to, to just stop doing some things. You just need to, to say no. And I know that's hard because we want to be involved in good things. And there's so many good things for us to be involved with that, that we want to do all of them. We want our children to have all the opportunities maybe that we never had or all the opportunities that they want to have. But at what cost? At what cost are we going to do those things? You may be advancing in your career. You may be you know, soaring up that ladder and things are going great there. But if you're never around for your spouse or your kids... Yes, your kids may be involved in, in sports and, and in scouts and in the club and, and whatever, but if you're on the run every night of the week, is it worth it? 
If your quality time has been reduced to text messaging and talking in the car from one event as you're trying not to be late for the next event, and you're doing homework around the kitchen table at you know, all hours of the night when your child's falling asleep during their homework, at what cost? At what cost? We need to reprioritize our life. If your date night has been reduced to grocery shopping and errand running because there's too many other things on your plate, at what cost? If you can't go to church or can't let your kids participate in youth activities or can't be involved in a small group, at what cost? Now, those are not to make anybody feel guilty about things. It's just we need to be honest. We need to be honest about what we're doing and why we're doing it and let our yes be yes and our no be no and realize that if we commit, we need to do these things. If we commit, we need to follow through. Anything else beyond that comes from the evil one. One last group of people that I think we probably all fit into at some level. We have these vows and commitments that we've made to God. Okay, God, I want to promise you. I want to do these things. I want to make these commitments to you. And we need to really honestly evaluate those things. Sometimes we make commitments to God in ways that maybe we don't really mean, but we say them anyway. God, I promise I will never do that again. Right? I swear on my mother's grave. I promise I will never lose my temper again. God, if you'll get me out of this one, I'll go to church every Sunday. I will read my Bible. I'll even pray. I'll teach Sunday school if that's what it takes. Just get me out of this one, right? We make those promises to God. But do we follow through with them? All the swearing in the world is not going to strengthen our our willpower. You see, willpower is a great beginner, but it's a horrible finisher. It just does not last. God wants to help us in that process. And step one in that process, I believe, is just getting honest before Him and getting honest with Him. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 is a comforting and a very unsettling verse all at the same time. It says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. At some point, we have to acknowledge the fact that God already sees who we are on the inside. God already knows who we are. We may be the master at making other people see us in a certain way or think about us in a certain way, but God already knows. God already sees. God knows who you are down to your very core. And you know what's important, and don't miss this, that regardless of who you are or what you've done or or where you've been, that it doesn't change His love for you. He loves you completely. He loves you totally. He loves you unconditionally. God knows you knows all that thing about you, those things that you hope no one finds out about, and He loves you anyway. In fact, He loves you more than you could ever imagine. Even in our broken state, God longs and desires to be with each and every one of us. He knows whether or not we mean what we say or if we're saying what we mean. We really need to just acknowledge the fact that God already sees it and that God already knows and that we can invite Him into the process and have the courage to be honest with Him. Even if we've messed up this process royally or we mess up time and time again, God wants us to stop and to come back to Him, to draw closer to Him and allow Him to be a part of our daily life. This is that relationship that we've talked about, a relationship that's made possible through the Holy Spirit being in our life. We need to be honest with the vows that we make. We need to be honest with the things that we say and realize that with God, we can do the things that He desires for us to do. 
We should always be seeking Him to have that deeper commitment by, by reading His Word and by praying, by spending time with Him, by developing that relationship through the Holy Spirit. God in us allows us to do things that we didn't think we could do before. And it doesn't mean you know, all this amazing stuff. It could mean just a changed heart, a changed life, a changed relationship, a changed attitude. God wants to, to bring us into that relationship with Him so that we can be men and women that he desires for us to be. We can be men and women of integrity before him. Throughout this series, you've heard me say that Jesus is is putting two deals on the table. You've heard it said, but I say to you. And this morning, Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I say to you, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Would you do that in your life? Would you do that in your commitment to him? There's a couple deals on the table. Which one are you going to choose? The beauty of it is he allows us the decision. He allows us to decide what we want and what we want from him. Let's pray this morning. Father God, um, we're so not good at this. We need so much work in this area, but but God, I believe that even though um, we fail you, that you're with us. God, I don't often understand how there can be so much pride in me at times. And at the same time, there's a part of me that that feels like I just can't ever get it right. God, I pray that you would help us not to listen to the lies of, of Satan, but to listen to your truth. To know the fact that you love us and that you long to be with us and that you want to be a part of our daily life. God, God I pray that we would recognize that fact not only here in church, But God, that would be something that we would apply to our life each and every moment of each and every day. God, help us to invite you in and to notice that you're there. You promised us you'll be with us. Help us to recognize that you're there. Father, thank you that that we can say yes to you. Thank you that you've provided a way. Thank you that we have hope. We have life. We have life eternal with you. Thank you, Father, that, that we can be like your son. Thank you for sending him for us. God, thank you again for always being with us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. This morning, as we do every week, we offer an invitation time to you, an opportunity for you to to take an honest assessment of of where you are and and what's going on in your life and and share that with other people. Maybe you just need someone to pray with you. Maybe you just need someone to to speak words of encouragement to you. Uh, Maybe you just want to talk to someone about what's going on in your life. We invite you to do that this morning. Maybe this morning you don't have that relationship with the Lord and, and you feel Him uh, talking to you and, and it's time to let your yes toward Him be yes. We would love to have the opportunity to talk to you about that. Stand with me. Ian and the band are going to lead us. If you want to talk to someone, you make your way over to the cross and we'll meet you there. Mm-hmm.